touched by our infirmities. Infirmities is physical or mental weakness. So you could have uh, infirmity which is not physical or it's not spiritual, it's mental. Or it could even be emotional infirmities. But it, it, there's just, uh, I had to actually cut this down. There's just an unlimited list of what infirmities is. But to summarize, it is a physical or mental weakness, a frailty. A weakness, a feebleness, enfeeblement, delicacy, fragility, debility, debilitation, decrepitude, disability, impairment, illness, sickness, indisposition, poor health, declining health, lameness, shakenness. You ever see someone that they shake, they can't stop shaking? Uh, unsteadiness, instability, ailment, disease, disorder, affliction, uh, complaint, upset condition, hesitation, uncertainty. These are all under the uh, definition of what infirmities is. How many have ever had issues with infirmities before in your life? Amen. How many know that Jesus is touched by those infirmities? A lot of times we think that when we're going through something that God doesn't care because he allows it. Or we think because he allows it, it's his will for us to be in it. But if it was his will, hear this folks, if it was God's will for us to be in infirmities, then he would never have healed anyone ever. It is his desire for us to be healed and strong it is the devil's desire that we are sick and afflicted amen and there are certain things the bible says that cause sickness and affliction amen but i want to talk today about touched by our infirmities the only thing worse than going through a major infirmity is going through it alone and isolated. You see, this is what the enemy wants us to do, is he wants us to seclude ourselves. He wants us to isolate ourselves so that our infirmity becomes magnified. You see, it, it, it becomes a battle when you are isolated with your own infirmity. Why? Because loneliness sets in. When nobody else knows about the infirmity that you're going through, it causes a deep level of loneliness. And sometimes we become isolated because we're afraid that if we share our infirmity with other people, it will cause them to judge us or reject us or attack us. And a lot of times we have shared our infirmities with other people and that's exactly what happened. They attack us when we make ourselves vulnerable to what we're going through and then that teaches us, well, maybe I better never share what I'm going through with other people again if that's going to be the reaction. So we isolate ourselves. But the worst thing that we could ever do is isolate ourselves in an infirmity because it makes it worse. You see, that is a trick of the enemy is to try to get you stuck in yourself and stuck alone and to try to fight alone by yourself. That's exactly where the enemy wants folks. And this is why a lot of folks over the last two years who have listened to the mandates about staying home, they were isolated. And there are some people who stayed two years isolated. And some folks, that pushed them over the edge, and they took their own life.
How many of you know that there are people that are in prison that once they do something wrong or they commit a crime while they're in prison, what they do is they put them in solitary confinement. So they're already locked up. They're already in prison. And when they commit a crime in the prison, they can't put them in prison. So what they do is they punish them at another level by taking them away from population and they put them in solitary confinement. And it is scientifically proven that a lot of people go through an induced mental illness through solitary confinement. And how many know spiritually if the devil can get you and I to voluntarily put yourself in solitary confinement, then he could have you in a place of despair and hopelessness and wallow in your sorry, wallow in your self-pity, wallow in your depression, wallow in your woe is me. And that's where he wants you to stay until you go into total self-destruct mode. But I want to tell you that in that state, Jesus is touched by our infirmities. Psalms 102.7, it says, I am sleepless and lie awake mourning. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. And there are a lot of Christians out there. A lot of Christians out there, this is how they feel. They feel like a lonely bird on a housetop. You know, Birds were not created to be alone. If you ever look at the geese, do they fly alone? Or do they fly with a pair? They analyze the flight patterns of the geese that when they fly south, they fly in a pyramid. Because the person that is at the peak of the pyramid, he creates a momentum when he flaps his wings. And that wind creates a propelling for the geese behind him. And then when they all fly together, it creates a momentum that they actually fly as a unit. And it takes less energy when they catch the wind of the person that's in front of them. God created them to fly as a group. But the goose that's flying alone has to work harder and create more effort. And see, that's what the enemy wants us to be like a goose on a roof by himself. So he doesn't have the benefit. Even the Bible says, can one stay warm by himself? Two have a greater reward when they come together. When you come together, there's a heat that's generated. Amen. And as a body of Christ, we never want to be a church where anyone has to feel alone. I'm not saying that you have to call the pastor 24-7. The pastor does not always have to be the solution to all the problems. There's elders, there's deacons, even brothers and sisters in the Lord that we should be able to come to one another. Amen? So that we don't have to suffer loneliness. And look at what it says. It says in James 5, 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another. You see that? Confess your faults. So sometimes our infirmities are self-afflicted. Some people go through struggles and temptation. Some people have addictions that they've had been suffering with their whole life. Sometimes they've inherited addictions from family generations. Their mom or their dad had a certain addiction and it was passed down to their household. It comes through the bloodline. 
And we try to deal with these temptations and these struggles, these infirmities. We try to battle them alone. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be, is battling our temptation and our struggles alone. But what does the Bible teach us? To confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much even friends and family who love us are not touched by our trials the same way jesus is Folks, you may have people in your family that you love dearly. It could be your, your mom, your dad, your children, your grandchildren. You might love them to pieces. But I promise you, your love is not like the love of Jesus. Nobody can love the way Jesus has a 100% perfect, pure love. See, a lot of times our love is a needy love. You know, a lot of times the people that we love, we need their approval. We need to be needed. We want to be wanted, right? There's a song. I think it was Boy George. I need you to need me. I want you to want me. I'm not a singer, but I'm just saying that's how our love is. Sometimes there's something connected to it. But Jesus is already 100% whole and complete without us. And in his completeness, he still wants to love us without strings attached. Not because he needs something from us. How I many you know God doesn't need our money? He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need our resources. He doesn't need anything from us. He just chooses to love us because that is who he is. Amen? Our friends and family who love us are not touched by our trials the same way Jesus is. Hebrews 4.14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? It means before Jesus died on the cross, you would have to go to the high priest to make a sacrifice for your family and yourself. So that you could be forgiven for your sins, you would have to give an unblemished without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, you could not make that sacrifice for yourself. You could not, you were not permitted to go into the temple of God. You were not allowed. At best, you were allowed in the outer courts, but you certainly were not allowed into the holy court, and you definitely were not. You would literally die if you went into the holy of holies. The glory of God would strike you dead. God had a specific strategy and an order for us to be saved and delivered in the Old Testament. And even then, the high priest that would do these rituals on our behalf he wasn't touched with your intimate problems. He was just doing a religious ordinance on your behalf. You would come up there and give them the lamb or whatever, and they would sacrifice it. But he didn't know what you were going through. He didn't know your struggles. He didn't know that your children were suffering sickness. He didn't know that you were struggling with temptation. He didn't know anything about you. It wasn't his job to know about the intimacies of your life. He was there to do his job. But it's not that way with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was the high priest which was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But just because he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, does that mean that there's going to be an automatic results is there something 
that we are called to do as children of God, knowing that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible says in Luke 12, 7, it says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, Elder, you love your family members, but tell me how many hairs on their head they have. I want the exact, and I'm going to count. I'm going to go behind you and make sure you're accurate. Do you love your mom? How many hairs does she have on her head? Just ballpark. You don't even know where to begin. Have you actually thought about how many hairs are on your mom's head? And I know you love your mom because you call her almost every day. But the thought of knowing how many hairs are on her head has never went through your mind. You love your kids, but you don't know how many here. See, there are things about the people that we say we love that we are oblivious to. Even you could be married. You could be married for 20, 30 years, and there could be thoughts that go through their head, struggles that they go through that may never come to your attention. It might never manifest. They might not never share it with you. You don't know. And even myself, I'm not the same that I was 10 years ago. People will try to predict me, and they'll try to predict my, my eating habits or my behavior habits, but as the Holy Spirit leads me, I'll switch up. And people think that I'm still doing a certain thing, and I switched up. You see, for one, I might eat super healthy for two or three years, and people lock me into a healthy person. And then two, three years go by, and I start hitting up Haagen-Dazs and Mitchells and start talking about lavender, honey, ice cream. You see, but you still think I'm the healthy person. And then you think I'm an unhealthy person and eating unhealthy, but then I switch up and I start fasting and eating healthy, and now I switched up with you. You see, we don't really know someone the way God knows us. God is touched by our infirmities the way no one else will ever. And I got to tell you, when you understand that, it is a comfort that we don't need the rest of the world to be touched by our infirmities when we know that Jesus is touched by our infirmities. But does that mean that we should never reach out to other folks? We can't go to wounded people for comfort or help. And this is a lot of times what people will do, both in the world and in the church. We will go to wounded people for comfort and for help. And not realizing that the person that you're going to for help has their own wounds that they're struggling with. And you're going to them for help, and they're not telling you. See, a lot of times people won't tell you the battles that they're going through. And a lot of times the people that you go to for help, without your knowledge, they could be going through a battle that is a hundred times worse than what you're going to. And you're looking for sympathy from them. You're looking for help for them. You're feeling sorry for yourself. And you're going to them and you're, they're, you're telling them about your infirmity and they're thinking in their mind, you are blessed to be going through that infirmity. If you only knew what I was going through, you would be ashamed of yourself to tell me about your measly problem. But no one's going to say all these things. No one's going to say these things. But the thing is, is that there are saints in these last days that are not walking around wounded. They are not walking around disabled. There are people that have been made whole from Jesus. And when you go to someone who's been made whole, 
they are able to invest in you. They are able to pray for you. They are able to be touched by your infirmities because they know that they too once had infirmities, but they went to the master who made them whole. Amen? We can't go to wounded people for comfort or help. In other words, we need to watch who we go through. Go to. Well, how do you know who to go to? How do you know who to go to for help? Is it because they're white or black or rich or poor or young or old? What do we judge off of? Do they need to have a bald head in order to help you? Do they need to have a suit in order to help you? Do they need to have a title in order to help you? Do all people with the title of pastor, are they all made whole? Are, are there some folks with the title of pastor that too are wounded? You just don't know it. You see, you could be going through a battle, but that doesn't mean the battle is going through you. You see, I've gone through battles, but the battles weren't in me. I was in the battle. The battle wasn't in me. I was in Christ, and Christ was in me, and I was able to pierce through a battle, which is why if you would hear the things that I'm going through, you would never believe it. Because you can't tell on my face. You can't tell by the way I walk. You can't tell by the way I talk. You can't even tell by the way I eat. When you watch me eat a lavender honey ice cream from Mitchell's, you're subject to hear moaning and groaning and joys and sparkle in my face. Why? Because Christ is in me. And while I'm in the battle, I'm praising God. While I'm going through the infirmities, I'm rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. I'm meditating on the Lord day and night. I'm not meditating on my infirmity day and night. I'm not meditating on my battle day and night. So when folks come to me, I will lay hands on them and I will watch miracles happen in the name of Jesus. And how do you know who you go to? Because you look for the fruit of the Spirit. Not even necessarily the gifts of the Spirit. Because i got to tell you, there are some folks that are very anointed and gifted, but they don't bear the fruit of God. They don't have no self-control. They don't have no peace. They can preach up a storm until glory clouds come home, but they have no joy. You see, look for, they don't have no love. Look for the fruits of the Spirit. And on the flip side, someone that God may lead you to, they might not be able to preach a word, but they can put their hand on your shoulder and, and give you love and encouragement. They can listen to you without judging you. They can take in your infirmity without going on the gossip line. Did you know what happened to brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Job 2.9, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. How many of you know that's not what Job needed to hear? He had infirmity. He literally, what? if you were to look up the definition of infirmity, you see a picture of Job. He looked miserable. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Mm -mm -mm. Could you imagine you go to someone for help? You know, I just want you to know I've really been struggling with this hardship and, you know, everything that I own, I just lost it all and it was wiped out in a tornado and then all my children died and, you know, I'm just really, I don't know. Yeah, you know what you need to do? Curse God and die. And let me charge you $200 an hour for that. I got a PhD in counseling. This is what, you know, I'm hearing everything. I really thought about it. And I think the best thing for you to do at this point 
is just curse God and die. You can't go to wounded people for help. Job's wife was not the one that was touched by his infirmities. She had her own problems. That was her children that she lost. That was her income. You don't think she put her hand on that business? You don't think she was taking care of those animals? You don't think she was attached to any of those animals? How do you feel when your dog dies? She didn't lost her pets. She didn't lost her children. She lost all of her income. She was a wounded warrior. Watch who you go to for comfort. You see, you think of when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He had his hands pierced. They pierced him in his side. And doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas would not believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. He refused to believe it. Jesus he troubled himself, falsely accused. He was innocent, tempted at all point without sin. And then in spite of that, he suffers on the cross. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He was literally physically wounded. And doubting Thomas comes along and says, I'm not going to be satisfied with your story until I put my finger inside of your wound. There are some people, when you go through infirmities, they're not going to be satisfied with your story. They're going to want to stick their finger and dig it around in your wound to make sure that you're really wounded. How many want someone sticking their finger digging around? You see, that's not ministry. Well, God anointed me with a, a stirring up, digging in people's wounds, anointing. I could stick in your wound like never before. By the time you come to me, I'll make you feel a hundred times worse. Some folks, they have a doubting Thomas ministry. Sticking their finger in your wounds. Look, stay away from my wounds. Amen. Pray for me. Don't be sticking your finger and digging around and pushing things. And God bless Jesus. He allowed it. I would have called for one angel. Angel, take this guy away from here. What did he say? He said, blessed are you who believe and have not seen. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. God never intended for us to go through battles alone or with the wrong people. Folks, you see this? God never intended us to go through battles alone or with the wrong people. That's where the devil wants you, to share all your intimacies with the wrong person who's going to be digging around in your wounds or to isolate yourself and keep everything to yourself. And you don't got, every single one of us need at least one shoulder to cry on. That could be your husband, that could be your wife, that could be your kids. It doesn't matter. It could be the pastor, the deacon, the elder, a brother. You need some person that you feel comfortable to go to. It is the highest level of pride that we internalize everything and keep everything to ourselves. But make sure that one person that you go to, you don't dump everything on that person. Sometimes you need to distribute. Tell this person this thing. But don't tell them that thing. Tell the other person this thing, but don't tell, don't crush people. Some people, they think that's the role of a pastor, is to dump all your problems on the pastor. So that way the pastor's walking around like, oh man, whoo, man, whoo. 
You don't have to dump everything on the pastor. Amen. I'm not saying don't dump nothing. But the, the, the pastor is not a garbage bin. Amen. Like I said, you, there should be other folks. Amen. Dump it all on Elder. Amen. He's a tough guy. He can handle it. Amen. <laughs> Distribute. I have a lot of people in my life that I love dearly, and they have the fruits of the Spirit, but there are certain things I never told them. I never told them. Let God lead you of who to share what to, but you need to share it with somebody. Because I got to tell you, when you know there's one other person in your corner, they know what you're going through. It somehow comforts you. It somehow strengthens you. When you know there's one other person that's praying on your behalf for your infirmity, just knowing that alone will strengthen you. Amen? And Job 16.1, it says, Then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? Could you imagine that? Job shares about his family dying. He shares about losing everything that he has. He has physical boils coming on his skin. And here they are trying to lecture him. They're literally adding to his pain. Instead of them comforting him, they're adding misery. So, folks, we have to make sure that as Christians, we don't add misery to other people's problems. Not all the time do people, when they tell you their problem, they're not looking for advice. I can't tell you how many times I've shared a problem with someone that I've been thinking about, dealing with, going through over the last two years, and I share it with someone, and they just come up with these genius ideas that I've already been through, I thought about, and they think that they're helping you by, by impressing you. with how, how many of you know when you have an infirmity, you're not looking to be impressed by how much people know? And sometimes people will use your disclosure as a platform to show off how much they know. And that's not helping you. Sometimes when we share things with one another, we're not even looking for advice. We're not looking for direction. We're not even looking for a solution. We're just looking for someone to support us spiritually. You see, but in order to be someone who's not a miserable comforter, you need to have humility. You need to have humility both to be a comforter and you need to go to someone who is humble so that they can comfort you. Never go to a know-it-all for comfort. Let me say that again. Never go to a know-it-all for comfort. Find the most homeless, helpless person, humble person that you can find. If he's under a bridge, scrape him off the ground and tell him all your problems. And you'll be surprised that that homeless person will have the capacity to help you in your problem. Scrape off a homeless person from the ground and tell them all your worries. And you'll be surprised. There, there, I have a video on our church YouTube. At first it was a, a real live angel. I switched up the titles. But it, it has thousands of views on it. And there was this homeless person that I took him to feed him. And I, uh, I talked to him. I sat him in my office the sweetest guy I ever met. And I was getting ready to drop him off at the homeless shelter, and I was going to pray for him. And the Lord told me, don't pray for him, but ask the homeless guy to pray for you. And that's exactly what I did. And this man ripped off a prayer, 
a Holy Ghost prayer. And he prayed for me and it blessed me. Amen. Make sure you watch who it is that you're looking to comfort for. Because what will happen is you're expecting them to help you and they make your problem worse. And then once you open up that can of worms, you can't cover it back. It's already out there. You can't undo it. Whatever they've said, they've already added to your wounds. You can't rewind that. You can't pack it back into the can. Amen? Then Job replied, I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I could also speak like you if I were in if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you and but my mouth would encourage you. It comfort with my lips would bring you relief. Folks as Christians, we have the power to judge and criticize and opinionate and give all types of profound revelation, but in the same sense, we could just comfort one another and let them know, hey, I love you. I care about you. You don't have to go through this ailment, this infirmity alone. I got your back. I'll be praying for you. I might not have all the instant rice solutions to your problems, but I know a solution and his name is Jesus. And I will go before him. In fact, not only will I go before him, but I will fast. And I will pray on your behalf. When is the last time you told someone that you were going to fast and pray for them? Not for your own problems, but you were going to fast and pray for someone else's problems. Man, I'm telling you, that will touch the Lord when you intercede on other folks' behalf. And yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved, and if I refrain, it doesn't go away. At one point in time in your infirmity, words just become words. And I think if I can be at risk to say in this thing that I believe there are some people that will come inside the house of God. They will come to church and they will sit on the pew and they will hear the word of God, but they are in their infirmity. The words are not penetrating through their infirmity and what they're doing is they're just sitting in church and they're going to walk out the same way. Their anticipation of a revelation, of a transformation, of a change is none. They have altogether given up hope. They are going through the motions. They are almost in a habit. But how many of you know we serve a real living God who changes? Do you know that at one point in time I suffered with severe depression? I suffered with severe depression, and I'm not saying just little micro-depression. I literally had no hope. And I believe that God gifted me to preach, but preaching will only go so far. We need a touch from the Holy Ghost to pierce through some of these infirmities some of these addictions, some of these temptations, some of these weaknesses. And sometimes we prolong our infirmities by trying to do things alone. Sometimes we could go through things quicker and easier if we would simply reach out to the church. Now, we don't have thousands and thousands of people, but I know the people that we have, and we have a helping people. We have a bold people, a, a loving group, that if you were to go to them, they would help you. But it is our pride that we don't reach out for help, that we want to do things on our own. Amen. And I remember suffering with these severe, intense depressions, and I no longer wanted to live anymore. I no longer wanted to continue with life. I've gone through that. I know what that. I know that there's a dark cloud 
that comes in your mind. I know that there is a dark cloud that comes in your heart and you feel an actual wickedness, a darkness, a hopelessness. It consumes you. I felt that. I know what that feels like. I know that all the words in the world, all the people that you surround yourself, nothing will change that. I've been in that place before. But I've also been in a place where the power of God has lifted me out of that place of darkness. The Holy Spirit has pierced through that depression, that hopelessness. It was sliced like a shell. I broke out of it. I used to be introverted. I used to be a, a person who was isolated. I was a person who had social anxiety. I was a person who would never go around other people. I would seclude. I would isolate. But the power of God is real, and he changes us. He changes us. I'm telling you, I've, I've experienced it. That's why when I come here to the pulpit, I seize every opportunity to encourage you that there is a one that sits high above, and he is touched by our infirmities. Jesus will never resist an intense outcry for help in a desperate time of need. And for you theologians who know the Bible, show me a time where someone humbled themselves to Jesus and they were desperate to Jesus and they cried out to Jesus and Jesus said, nope, you go on about your business the same way. I can't help you. Show me one biblical example where someone cried out to Jesus, they humbled himself, and Jesus rejected them and said, no, it's my will that you stay sick. It's my will that you stay depressed. It's my will that you stay in condemnation, guilt, and shame. It's my will that you suffer. In fact, I take pleasure at your pain. I'm enjoying watching you suffer. Nowhere in the Bible, there's not one story. I filtered through pastors I know, and I challenged them. I said, give me one illustration where Jesus rejected someone to heal them or help them. One time, there was never. Now, there was the other way around where Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all you have and follow me, and he rejected Jesus. There were people that laughed at Jesus, and they walked away from him. Where they did, There were a lot of illustrations where people rejected Jesus. But there is not one illustration where Jesus denied someone when they had an intense outcry, and they were desperate in a time of need. Jesus 100% of the time in the Bible, he helped them. And not only did he help them, he illustrated a affection for them, a love for them, that he was actually touched by their infirmity. But how many of you know there was a collaboration of an outcry? Because there are a lot of people that have these infirmities and they have these problems that they keep it to themselves and from what i could see in the bible jesus doesn't chase after everyone to just heal them in other words if you hide yourself under your bed jesus is not kicking in the door and pulling over the bed and then healing you it never worked that way now, Jesus will confront you. He'll meet you in certain places. But you'll see where there was a guaranteed healing. It's when there was an intense outcry. But why is it that we don't have an intense outcry in our time of need? Why is it? It's because of our lack of faith. It's because of our biblical ignorance. It's because of our pride. It's because of our unbelief and our flesh that we will not we hold back that outcry in our time of need we try to be strong like bull and we try to do it all on our own and sometimes 
People don't even give me as a pastor an opportunity to be used by God to pray for other people. They don't come to me ever. Why? Because I'm strong like a bull. I don't need no help. And folks, we all want to receive certain things of God on our own. And that's neat. And that's cool. But sometimes there is a pain and an intensity that actually brings us to our knees. Where you can no longer keep it to yourself. You had enough. You hit rock bottom. You can't travel any farther. Life gets too bad. And just something within your spirit cries out. And I got to tell you, it will touch the Lord. And Luke 8, 41, it says, Then a man named Jairus, Jairus, a synagogue leader. I find this very interesting. That this was a synagogue leader. You see, synagogue leaders back then are not like today. Today, people don't really respect pastors. A lot of people, they believe that they are the church. They don't need church. They don't need a pastor. That's what most people believe. A lot of people, even in the church, they feel, I don't really need a pastor. I got my own Bible. I got my own Holy Spirit. I am the church. I don't need a pastor. And so some folks don't value the offices that the Bible talks about, pastors, uh, elders, bishops, deacons, people don't appreciate it today. Back in this biblical day, it wasn't like that. It was different. People had a very high regard. They put the synagogue leaders on a pedestal. They really looked up to them. They needed a synagogue leader in this time. And the synagogue leader, he had a reputation. He had to carry himself in a certain way. So this synagogue leader named Jairus, when his infirmity got so deep, he put all of that aside. He set his reputation aside. He stopped caring about what his congregates thought about him. He stopped caring about what those in the synagogue would say, his predecessors, those that were watching him. He pushed all that aside. See, there is a pain so great that you no longer care about what other people think. You no longer care about what other people say. You will cry out to Jesus and you will touch him by your infirmities. And this is exactly what happened. He fell to his feet. Look, men don't fall to other men's feet. We know who Jesus is now. Back then, his revelation and his popularity is not what it is today. Do you understand that? Jesus at this point did not die on the cross. He did not raise from the grave at this point. There was not thousands and millions and millions of Bibles throughout the world. He was a man, an ordinary man at that. To some people, he's crazy. And he went to the feet of Jesus, not caring about all those things. And he cried out. Look at what it says. It says, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter. Can you imagine that? Your only child. How much love do you have when you have one child? His only daughter, a girl about 12. She had her whole life in front of her, and she was dying. How does that make you feel when the only child that you have is dying? Do you start to care about your reputation, your title, elder? 
If your only child is dying, do you care? You set all that stuff on the back burner and you go to get help. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Which means, do you believe Jairus, the synagogue leader, was the only one with the need? You don't think the crowd all had needs? But some of them hid their needs. They covered up their needs through all those labels and reasons that I expressed earlier. Jesus wants a partnership of faith. Jesus wants a partnership of faith. He wants us to do what we can and trust him to do what we can't. Amen. Jesus is looking for a partnership, which means there are some things that we have to do on our end. Why is it that the crowd was surrounding Jesus and they were crushing him, but only Jairus got something from him? Why is it that the other people didn't receive anything because they didn't want a partnership? Some people want from God, but they don't want to do their part. They don't want to exercise their faith. They don't want to do what God called them to do. They just want God to come in and take over their life without any faith, without any effort, without any humility, without any faith with the works on their part. They just want God to be touched by their infirmities. But there is a partnership that activates miracles. Jesus said, take upon me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many of you know when you're yoked up to someone, there is a partnership? And there are some things that God wants us to do, and there are some things that he will do that we can't do. And we need to know the difference. And Luke 8, 43, it says, And the woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. You know, I'm like this woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Do you know that Jesus was my last choice in life? I went to everything except for God. I, I, I reached out to everything in the world I tried everything to comfort me, to help me with my infirmities. God literally was my absolute last choice. And everything I reached out to failed me. And then my infirmity got so intense, I just came to Jesus. I said, man, nothing else is working. Maybe he'll work. It says no one could heal her. She came up behind him, and she touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. You know, and we rejoice over this story, as we should. We should be encouraged by it. We should be inspired about it. But we could also wonder if there were so many people that were bumping into Jesus, their bumps didn't touch him. Yeah, physically, it he felt a, a physical bumping. But with this lady, she touched him. Why did she touch him? And thousands upon thousands of people never touched him. How many people go to church and they bump into Jesus, but they never touch him? They bump into him. They brush up against him. They walk with him, but they never touch him. How many of you know that God wants to be touched by your infirmity? He wants to be touched by your infirmity. But are you willing to partnership with the Lord? Are you willing to do your part? Are you willing to pierce through the crowd? 
Are you willing to be set apart? Are you willing to go through embarrassment and what other people might say about you? Are you willing to put yourself out there to touch his garment that other people might reject what you're doing? Are you willing to be desperate enough to reach out to him in a way that you never did before? And you don't have to. You could be like the thousands of other people who never touched them. And you see, some people, they just want to accept their infirmities. They don't want to change. There are people that had sickness, and Jesus literally asked them, Will you be healed? Do you want to be healed? Some people, their identity is their infirmity. It's become part of who they are. They don't know any other way. Their temptation, their addictions, their struggles, their trials has been part of who they are. For 12 years, this woman had been known as the woman with the issue of blood. Back then, she was unclean. She could not have relationships. She was suffering with loneliness on top of the infirmity. But there came one point in her life where she had to touch God. And her life was never the same. And 45 has said, who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. You see, there are two type of touchings. There is one touch where nothing changes. And then there is another touch where the power of God is released on your life. And it means that the power of God could be released upon your life and you could change around other people and no one else can know that you were touched by God, that you touched God, and that the power of God was released. This happened publicly. There was thousands of people that saw but did not see. Do you understand? She was secretly touched by God. She received, she knew within herself that she was healed and no one else knew it. No one else was aware that she received healing. You see, and they did not become aware until she shared her testimony. You see, there's, there are times that we could come into church and God can change our life, but no one else knows because we don't share it. And Luke 8.47, it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at the feet, fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. And she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What is the partnership that Jesus is looking from us? Your healing, your ability to touch Jesus is according to your faith. How far do you want to touch Jesus? Do you just want to brush against him like everyone else and go about your business and have nothing in your life ever change and just accept all your infirmities, all your weakness, all your struggles? Just accept it. You can do that. You're allowed to do that. You could bust open into the gates of heaven with all your sickness and disease, but when you leave that flesh, all your sickness and disease stays with the body. You will have a healed, glorified body. You can do that if you want. If that's all your faith, if you're happy with that, you could do that. But the partnership that I believe God has for this church right here and for you all, I believe God has more. 
And according to your faith, the Bible says you are healed. Go in peace. How many have the faith right now for the Lord to touch them, to change them? And I'll tell you, a lot of times where you see these miracles, it was someone going on behalf of another person to be touched. People had brought to Jesus the problems of their daughters, daughters that were possessed with demons, children, sons that were sick to death. And they went to Jesus on behalf of them. Do you have any unsaved children? Do you have anyone in your family that needs you to intercede on their behalf, to go to Jesus for them? Because they don't have the faith that you have. They can't touch Jesus the way you can. They don't know what you know. Is there anyone that you need to go before the Lord so that God could be touched by your infirmities? You see, that's what this list is about right here, is for us to be touched by God, to go before him on behalf of other people. My grandma had cancer, stage four. They said there was no hope for her, guarantee she was going to die within a month. She was pumped full of chemo. She took all the radiation. She, she, did, she took the best that Metro had, and none of it worked. Stage four cancer, she was going to die. And I refused to accept it. My grandma, she went through all these different religions. She went through uh, Catholicism. She went through Mormonism. She went to the Jehovah Witness. She went to all these different religions, and she was kind of confused about what the Bible said because they were all teaching different things. She had all these things going through her head, and none of those religions healed her. None of them. But she had one grandchild that was willing to go to the Lord on their behalf. One foolish, ignorant grandchild without a theology degree, with a criminal record, with a sketchy background, with no money, no car, no driver's license, no job. All he had was Jesus and faith in God, that God had the power to heal her. And he went up to the attic of her house. He was living with her, had no place to stay, no wife, no family support. He was living like a dog in the attic without AC and he went before the Lord on behalf of her and he prayed for hours and hours and hours until there was a breakthrough and he had a vision from God and he saw the black smoke leaving her body and God spoke to him and said your grandma is healed go down and tell her I went down and told her that God healed her of the cancer she went to the hospital the next day and the cancer was gone how many of you know that we have that same power and authority? Your faith. Your faith. Not your neighbor's, not mine. Your faith. There is a partnership. There is a role for you to play. God is not looking for robots to take over our free will. He's not looking for zombies and brain dead people he is looking for a living creation that will believe him at his word that will have faith in him against all odds that will believe and they have not seen but they will still believe that he is a healer that he is a deliverer that he is a savior that all power has been given to him in the name of Jesus that he has given you authority over all works of darkness that he has given you power without limit through the Holy Ghost that in the name of Jesus every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus and you have a right to exercise your authority and you can touch him there's no limit to God only limit to God is that what you put on yourself then he said to her, daughter, your faith, which means you can't blame anyone else. It's not the white man. 
It's not Joe Biden. It's not the Democrats. It's not Big Pharma. It's not the Antichrist. It's not the devil. Your life is a result of your faith. So many times he's confronted people and he said, be it done unto you as you will. How many of you know that God loves you more than you love you? God has better plans for you than you have for yourself. He has a love that you could not understand. He has things that are available. I have not seen, ear have not heard the things that await for them that love the Lord. Daughter. I mean, you know, he's saying right now, daughter, son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Strong to be Christian church, the spirit of the Lord is upon me.